has spoken a word to you. I wanted to take the time to respond to that because I really believe the Lord was trying to captivate our attention. How many of you know that God speaks to us every day? He actually wants to get your attention more than you even think so. He actually, the Bible says that he stands at the door and knocks at our heart, and he really does want to get our attention. And I really appreciated these prophetic words, because all of these words that came to us today were words that were intended to empower us. They were intended to lift our vision. Maybe know that God's design and plan is to strengthen you. His plan is to encourage you. He wants to empower you with his word. It doesn't even really matter where you're at in the course of your life. Because right now, we are in a window. We are living in a window of time. And the Bible refers to it as the dispensation of grace. Yes. This is the time. Jesus said to redeem the times for the days are evil. We're living in the time where the Lord is revealing his son Jesus. And remember what Jesus said, for whom the son sets free is free indeed. His plan and desire is to awaken the church and to set us free and for us to fulfill a mandate that he's placed on every child of God. And that was to arise and shine for your light has come. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Well, you know what? I wanted to do something this morning. I wanted to honor our veterans. It's Memorial Day. If you're a vet out there, would you stand to your feet? We want to honor anyone who's a vet. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. They serve our nation. And uh, we really do. We appreciate those who have served in the armed services to protect and to protect our freedom and our liberty. And by the way, folks, we really need to continue to pray for the leaders of our nation, that God will give wisdom. I know you've probably seen on the news this whole uh, VA debacle that's kind of turned upside down. We, we really need the wisdom of the Lord to prevail in these things. And by the way, I believe that if you're a child of God, God's going to take care of you, but we do need his wisdom. Amen? Amen. I also want to just say another thing that uh, we really want to welcome anybody who would like to come to our house tonight. It's right across the road over here on Sahara Drive. We're, we're just going to have a great time and fellowship, barbecue, and I just have a great time this afternoon. Normally, on Memorial Day, we would go to the lake. My wife and I went out to Lake Levon here about a week ago, and I have never seen the lake that low. It is the lowest in the 23 years I've been here. I have a boat, and I just will not put my boat in that lake. And But it wasn't just the fact that the lake was low, but the lake stunk pretty bad. I don't know if it's algae or what, but it was just a... So we decided to have a picnic at our house today. And maybe some of you may be going to family and friends, and that's fine. We're just opening our home if you'd like to come. Uh, we just love the fellowship. And I know we've got a lot of empty seats today. I think a lot of people are gone camping or 
fishing or whatever they're doing. Hope they catch a lot of fish, don't you? Praise God. I hope they do. And bring a few pieces with with you tonight. (laughs) Amen. Well, God is good. Uh, we're, We're coming into our summer season. And we have a lot of neat things that we're going to be doing. Some evangelistic things. We're going to be having times of services and worship, but also fellowship time. So we have a church calendar. Just pray that you can get that and uh, just connect with what we're doing here at New Life. We love our city. We want to reach out to our city. Amen. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. I want to take a few minutes in the word of the Lord this morning. I've been on a series entitled Family Power. I've been speaking about the family past several weeks. We really appreciated uh, Brother James and Claire, James and Claire Dunham last week. They just did a fantastic job. How many of you enjoyed the whole family up there speaking? That was such uh, just a great word, guys. What a blessing. Uh, and I'll tell you, I, uh, I was amazed on how much ground they were able to cover in one hour. That uh, gave me some incentive, by the way. Uh, but I thought it was such a joy. If you weren't here, you need to get a hold of that uh, tape and hear that awesome word. I'm going a little different direction today. I, we've been covering a lot of different aspects, but I felt the Lord lay in my heart today. I want to speak to you on the power of wealth. I felt the Lord wanted me. I, I, I don't teach on this. I know that this is a subject that a lot of people kind of yawn on when pastors talk about the issues on this. But I felt the Lord impress upon me that we want to break down some walls and deal with some false concepts and wrong ideas. Uh, first of all, let me just say this, is that I... I, I read this a couple of years ago that managing our finances and managing money is the number one stress issue in relationships and marriages today. Handling finances. How many of you believe that God cares about our managing our life? He wants our life to be managed. I know we can talk about talk when we speak about the kingdom of God The kingdom of God, of course, is the rule of King Jesus in our life. In fact, when Jesus came preaching the kingdom, the kingdom of God has to do with his providence and his authority in the life of the believer. It's where Jesus becomes king in your life. And what that means, the word Lord is the word where we get the word master. Now, one of the problems in preaching a message on the kingdom, it doesn't really go well in America because we in America, we value this thing called freedom. We love our freedom. And I believe in freedom. I believe that in a, in a civil government that we have, it's a, it's a government by the people of and for the people. And uh, we believe that our founding fathers, when they constructed the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. How many of you have ever studied the Constitution, the Bill of Rights? Studied some history in America. We, we know that our founding fathers actually went to the Bible 
And they realized that the foundation for any lasting government was going to be based on the Word of God. In other words, man could not be a law unto himself and succeed because of the sin problem. Man needed something higher than himself. So when Jesus came along, he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel of the kingdom really is about a message that involves a relationship and your place in that relationship in regards to your heavenly father. The Lord wants you to know that you are sons and daughters of a very awesome king. Not only are you the sons and daughters of an awesome king, but all of God's children have an amazing inheritance. How many believe that? There's an inheritance. Now, when it comes to the subject of wealth, when we talk about money, and I, I want to spend a few times because I believe the Lord wants to bring a foundation this morning, and I'm going to be sharing in this particular area entitled The Law of First Things. Now, in the Bible, in Hebrews chapter 2, I want you to see something. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. It says here, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering into his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Notice verse 2. For indeed the gospel was preached unto us as well as it was to them. He's speaking about those under the old covenant here. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Notice the word there, profit. Everyone say profit. God's interested in you profiting in life. Now, I remember hearing a, a question came to Bill Gates. Bill Gates is a multi-billionaire. And I, uh, I don't put a whole lot of stock in what some of these people say, but a question came to Bill Gates, and it was this. He says, uh, how does it feel to possess such power because you have all this money? It was a forum where there were some college students on a university campus. He was being asked this question, and he said, first of all, there is no power in, uh, in wealth in and of itself. He says, the real power is not in the money I have. Real power comes in the knowledge of knowing how to use what you have. Yeah, yeah. It's a knowledge. Real power. How many of you know it's possible to have money and then lose it all? Wow, yeah. It's possible to have... In fact, I heard this. I, I don't know if this statistic is true. I actually read it off the internet. That 70% of all lottery ticket winners will lose their fortune in the first five years. 70% of them, because they have no idea how to handle wealth or that kind of money. So most people, when they when they get a hold of money, most of the time they do not know how to manage money. How many of you believe God wants us to know how to manage money? I honestly believe that God is interested in us knowing how to save money, manage money. I believe he's interested in you and I, not just tithing. I know we talk a lot about tithing, but he's interested in you even knowing how to shop. Do you know that God's interested in you knowing how to shop? It may sound strange. We, my wife and I sometimes were counseling. We've seen people... 
that they don't shock really well. Uh, some things I've come to find out, just practical, never shock when you're hungry. You usually buy everything you don't want. Uh, another thing is do not bring your kids when you shop if you cannot say no to them. Because there, there's, there's just some really basic issues when it comes to the way we think about your attitude towards money and wealth. Your attitude towards prosperity. Notice the Bible says that God's people did not profit. Now, how many of you believe God's interested in you profiting? He really is. He, he, not just from the standpoint of having wealth and money in the bank. Now, I, I, some of you, uh, I, I just want to make preface what I'm sharing here this morning. I really pray you hear my heart. Because money, when we talk about money and profit and prosperity, it's so much bigger than that. Tithing is not just about giving your money. Tithing is so much bigger. It's connected to your worship. It's, it really is so connected to your relationship and how you understand the whole breakdown of the kingdom of God. It's so, so much bigger than that. You know, the Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You know, if you really want to know about it, tithing or even giving, God doesn't need your money because he already has it anyway. Tithing is for you. It's not for him. It's for you. In fact, as we get into the subject on this, one of the most powerful reasons why God wants us to understand these principles on finances uh, and money because it so ties into our relationship with the Lord but God will use certain things, certain sacrifices. Sometimes God will ask us to give or to sacrifice. It may be in the area of offerings or in the area of tithing. And one of the reasons why God asks us to give sacrificially, it's not because he wants to stress your life out. It's not because he's trying to mess up your mind because when you calculate things on a calculator, it doesn't work out. How many of you know that tithing, for instance, doesn't make sense? How many of you know that forgiving your enemy doesn't make sense? In fact, there's a whole lot of things in the kingdom of God. Just is not rational to the rational mind. If you try to take your paycheck and you look at all your bills and you try to calculate things, if you, if you function by a calculator when it comes to the kingdom principles, you're going to have a hard time. Um, so what God is really trying to do, there's two simple things. Anytime the Lord asks us to trust him in areas that does not make sense. Listen to me. God is actually trying to introduce you to a life of the supernatural. He's trying to introduce you and open your eyes to see him work. And here it is, when your back is against the wall. See, see do you know that in fact New Testament giving is not giving unless it costs you something or it makes you change the way you live. See, most of us give out of our surplus, and we think we've given. 
A lot of us don't even realize that, do you know, for instance, even on the issue of your tithe, do you know that you can't give a tithe to God? Malachi 3 says, it doesn't say give the tithe, it says bring the tithe. And the reason why it says bring the tithe, because you can't give what doesn't belong to you. It already belongs to God. I was talking to one guy one time. He says, you know, Pastor, I I, I, I tithe, but I, I don't always tithe to the local church. And I said, well, do you understand the storehouse principle? No, but I, I just believe that the church doesn't always need my tithe. Sister Susie down here, who's needy, needs my tithe. And my wife and I, we've decided to give our tithe to Sister Susie. I said, do you know you're in violation of God's word? See, here's that American mindset. The American mindset says, I'll give my tithe where I want to give it. How many of you ever heard of Leviticus where it says that the tithe is holy unto the Lord? Do you know what that word holy means? It means you have no power to make a decision about it. Now, offerings, you have the power to make a decision about offerings but not about the tithe. It says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse. It doesn't say, well, I'll bring it if I think I want to. It says, bring all the tithe. Amen? Amen. Now, see, that crosses that American mindset where I'll tithe where and when I want, where I want to give it. Now, here's the point. When we study the law of first things, go back into the Bible, you study the law of first things. For instance, going back into the Garden of Eden. God told Adam and Eve, when he put Adam in the garden, he said, Adam, you are to tend and keep the garden. God didn't say that you own the garden. You are going to steward what belongs to me. In fact, folks, do you know what? One of the best ways to bring the blessing of God on your life is when you begin to release control and ownership of what belongs to God. I mean, that's just, this is so foundational. If you want to break the curse of poverty off your life, I have to recognize all that I have belongs to God, but especially the tithe is holy. It belongs to God. In other words, what that means is, is when I get up my paycheck, for instance, let's say that Ray Galligan gets $1,000 a week When Carol writes out the check, guess what? Carol doesn't even talk to me. Now, she does, but because she already knows this, it's already here. When Carol gets a paycheck, $100, right to New Life Fellowship. We don't write out the bills. We don't write out the kids' expenses. We don't write out the house issues and pay the bills, electric bills and income tax and rent. Carol, I guess we don't have enough money to talk. That's where I get in trouble. If I get $1,000, 100, right? We don't even talk about it. Just goes right into the house of God. Right into the church. It doesn't go to Sister Susie. It doesn't go to some charity. It goes to the storehouse. Everyone say storehouse. Storehouse. God God said this. This is not raised theology. It's, It's in the Word of God. Brought into the storehouse. Now, offerings... You have the right to make a decision. That's over and above your time. Okay? Now, when I start thinking, 
about the mindset. And, and when, we be, when we start thinking about this, you know, many people, we start thinking about what we have to give up. We start thinking about what we have to let go of. Now, I want to just address that mindset. That is a poverty mindset. It is also a mindset that really helps mirror something. God wants you to see that when he has given you the power to get wealth, he watches you what you do with it. He watches you. Amen. Now, he's going to watch what you do. By the way, not just with your time, but the rest of your money. You know, I've come to find out that you can even be a tither and still not be blessed with, with God and finances. Let me give you a case in point. Let's just say that Ray Gallagher is a tither and loves God and gives even offerings. But let's just say that Pastor Ray does not communicate to his wife. And maybe Ray has a little stash of cash aside. Because it's it's called me money. It's for me what I want to do. I've come to find out that when I break my covenant with my wife and have what I call a little stash, she doesn't know about it, my prayers are going to be him. You see, even though I'm tithing, I still have to have my relationship on a horizontal level. Right. I have to have my relationship with... I need to be accountable to my wife. Because we're in a covenant. I don't have the right to keep secrets from my wife. Yeah, but I'm a tither. That doesn't matter. I'm still in a covenant with my wife. You see, some of these little things... In a, in a society today where there are so many couples that do not understand the covenant of marriage. They have separate checkbooks and separate bank accounts and... They even use this term like my money and your money. Big mistake. It needs to be our money. We're going to talk about what we're going to do with our. Everyone say our. I know you're going to leave today. That's the only thing you'll ever remember the way he said our. Our money. We're, we're going to work together. Why? Because we want the blessing of God on our marriage. Amen. The other thing about the blessing of the Lord, we're going to be honest and pay Uncle Sam. We're going to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Praise God. We're, we're going to pay our taxes. Well, a pastor, I just don't agree with Uncle Sam. They're ripping everybody. Out. I know. I know that, that that may seem that way. And there's this attitude of entitlement that everybody deserves that they feel they have a right to rip the government off because they're ripping us off. No, you're a Christian. And you're much higher than that. Yes. And you're going to pay the, your taxes. You're going to give to what Caesar asks. By the way, there's times I don't like what Caesar asks either. I'm just going to be honest with you. I think he, he knows how to gouge us. But you know what? Jesus said to honor Caesar. Honor him and to obey him. Pay taxes. Yeah. That's a biblical thing. And th these kind of things. Another thing that, that robs the blessing of God is, is when we are not fair in our dealings. If somebody comes over and serves and works for you for a wage, and maybe you just, you kind of cutthroat, and you, you hold back. The Bible says when you 
you hold back what someone is owed if they work for you or you've agreed on a wage. The Bible says God is watching that. What we need to realize that how we deal, I remember dealing with a, a brother in our church several years ago. He was an employer in this church and he had an employee that attended our church as well. And this employee said, this guy won't pay me my wage. And I confronted this guy. He was in our church. I said, why won't you pay him? He says, well, I just don't think he's working hard enough. I said, well, but you're, you still have him employed on your job, right? Well, yeah, but he's just not working. I said, if you've agreed to pay him, whether you think he's working hard enough for you or not, you agreed and you need to pay him. Now, if you don't like him, fire him. But if you agree to pay him, he's been working for you, you need to pay him. And he couldn't figure out why his business wasn't being blessed. Honesty and integrity are critical in our Christian faith. The way we treat other people, how we deal with other people, our word, the word of our testimony, the word. When, when we say we're going to do something, there's just a, a number of things the Bible in regards to wealth, your attitude towards wealth. Let me give you, turn with me to Psalm 67. Notice why there are three basic reasons why God wants to bless you. Do you know God wants to bless you? In fact, it is important that you as a believer experience the blessing. Now, wealth doesn't always come in the form of cash. How many of you know it's possible to not have a lot of cash in the bank, but you can still be a wealthy man, especially if your wife and your family's intact, your servant God. To me, the, a wealthy man is a man who has a great home, great marriage, and their kids love God. That is a rich man. I'd rather have my kids going to heaven, my home in order, my marriage intact, and I I'd rather live in a tent than live in a mansion and still going to hell. To me, true wealth is not what you possess in your pocketbook, although it helps. Praise God. I, I believe in having some greenbacks too. But here we find in Psalm 67, it says, God be merciful, verse 1, and bless us. And that's what he wants to do. And cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known upon the earth and your salvation among the nations. In other words, God wants to bless you. Because when God blesses you, what that does, it helps the nations. It helps the ungodly come to realize that you're blessed because you walk in His ways. It glorifies God. Do you know that when you're blessed, it glorifies God? I didn't get a lot of amens out there. You need to be blessed. Now that doesn't mean you, we all need to be Bill Gates and millionaires. But God wants to bless you so that people begin to look at you. The second reason why God wants to bless you is God wants to make you visible. God wants to make you visible. Now I'm not suggesting you've got to go out and drive a Mercedes Benz or a Bentley or have a nice home in nice areas. Those, but, but we should not, by the way, there's been a mentality and attitude in the church among Christians, actually, that having any kind of wealth is vanity and vain. And that's, that's really sad. Yes, it is. Because 
we've always had this idea, and it's been in the church for years. I remember when I was growing up as a young man, uh, anybody who had wealth, we just kind of had this, we were condescending. We looked down, we, we said, oh, they're vain, because they're, their heart is just wealth. And actually, the reason why they were being blessed was because they were operating, and they were walking, and they were uh, obeying God's principles, and God brought increase to them. And we had, the church for years, has had a wrong attitude towards wealth. The third reason why God wants to bless you is because when He blesses you, it gives you an opportunity to give more. Do you know that? The purpose, in fact, I, I want to just share something with you. Years ago when I was in business, and I, I, I want to use this word uh, flagrantly, I, Carol and I, when we, when we started business, the Lord gave me certain key things. He said, Ray, if you will honor me with the first fruits of all your increase, I will honor you with jobs and more opportunities for bids, and you will not be able to keep up with it. Now, one of the first things that Carol and I did, we made a commitment that we're going to tithe to the storehouse, something we did not mess with. It was a commitment. Isn't that right, Carol? It was a commitment. By the way, I'm not up here trying to stroke myself and make myself look good. We realized that when we begin to tithe, God began to open doors. The second thing, giving to the poor. When we begin to bless the poor, there was amazing opportunities and doors begin to open. I actually got addicted to giving. You know you get addicted to giving. Yeah. It, it, can, it can be almost an addiction. I mean, you just want to, you want to give. There's something about giving not for the sake of getting, but just giving that becomes so empowering and so honoring and such a blessing. Yes. I remember one time our, when my boys were young, I think it was David, we were, we were giving on our, we used to give these turkey baskets on Thanksgiving. And I remember we were taking our boys out and we were giving food. And our boys, I remember, I think David and Jared, one of them said this, Dad, Let's keep doing this all the time. This is really fun. Even our kids, when they were young, learned to see how giving began to bring blessing to others. And I'm going to, you know, it's more blessed to give than to receive. There's nothing more powerful than parents taking their children and learning to bless others. It's powerful. When you teach them to give, and to begin to give even out of their surplus. Do you know what you're doing? You are securing your children's future blessing. When you teach your children to give, you know what our society is all about right now? Is getting. It's what I can get for nothing. I want to get, 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 give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. But when you begin to teach your children to give, do you know what you do? You actually break a poverty mentality. You break that poverty stronghold. It's a poverty curse. You know, a lot of people today, what are they looking for? They're searching for things to make them happy. And they think by the accumulation of possessions and things, 
that it's going to make them happy. It's not going to make them happy. The best way to be blessed is to be a giver. Everyone say giver. Giver. God wanted Israel. He wanted his people to give. Now, jump back with me to Matthew chapter 6. I want just some scriptures this morning, some that you know, foundational when it comes to the blessing where wealth begins. Here Jesus is dealing with a culture in his day that had a severe problem with fear. They lived from hand to mouth. They were concerned about their next meal, where their food was coming, where their clothes were coming. What are we going to do? Where are we going to get our food and money? And notice what he says. Jesus says, he addresses it in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, therefore, I say, verse 25, Matthew 6, 25, do not worry about your life. Now, he's not suggesting that we don't plan. He does suggest that we plan. He's not saying not to give any thoughts. But he says, don't worry what you will eat, what you will drink, and about your body, what you will put on. And notice this verse here. It says, is not your life more than food and the body more than clothing? Notice what he's saying. Is not your life more than food and your body more than clothing? You know what he's saying there? God is saying that life does not consist of just Going to work, filling your belly, and putting clothes on your back. Yeah. What God is trying to do is he's trying to empower people to recognize a kingdom and a kingdom culture and a kingdom lifestyle that is more supernatural than natural. Yeah. He's trying to lift their vision. And what do we worry about? Where am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? Where am I going to get my next job? My next? Where's my clothes going to come from? Jesus is saying that people who worry about food and clothes, notice what he says down here in verse 32. For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need of these things. Now without reading all these verses from verse 25 to 32, Jesus gives three metaphors. He talks about grass of the field, Birds of the air and lilies of the valley. He brings up these three metaphors because what he's trying to do, these are three examples that people don't give a rip about. What he's trying to say is you have a heavenly father that clothes the lilies, clothes the grass of the field, and feeds the birds. What he's trying to say is if your father in heaven is more concerned about how a lily looks and how grass is clothed and how birds are fed, he's saying, are you not much more valuable than that? So the foundation for building a prosperous soul. Everyone say prosperous soul. Beloved, I believe. Beloved, I I beseech you above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So the foundation to a prosperous soul is having a right understanding and a healthy knowledge about my Heavenly Father. You're not a slave. You're not a beggar. You're a son and you're a daughter of the King. And what Jesus is trying to say is your Heavenly Father knows that you have these needs. 
Now, here's where the real trick comes. Here's not the trick, but here's where the test comes. Well, Lord, I'm out of clothes. I'm out of food. I'm out of money right now. What should I do? How should I hold? What should I be doing in the meantime? Can I suggest two things when you're in that place where the miracle has not yet come or been revealed yet? May I uh, suggest, as Jesus said, that we need to ask, seek, and knock. Amen. Make sure that you've actually asked for help. Jesus said, your Heavenly Father, we need to come to believe and ask, seek, and knock if you have these things, have need of these things. Ask, he says, seek and knock for your Father knows. He will not give you a stone. He will give you bread. But we need to also be expectant and thankful. Everyone say thankful. Bible says this, in everything, give thanks. Yeah. There's a reason why God says to be grateful and thankful. That's good. Do you know that when you are thankful, that, that I, I've come to find out there's a reason why God doesn't just, how many of you know that God just could come down right now, answer every prayer, open every door, answer every need? Wouldn't that be nice if we had kind of a lottery ticket kind of a relationship God, I need a job. Now, thank you. Uh, God, heal me. Now, thank you right now. God, wouldn't it be nice to have that kind of a relationship with God? And the Bible does say that your Heavenly Father knows. And He also says that He will feed you. He will clothe you. And here He says three times, do not worry about your life. Do not be anxious for those things. But then He tells us what to do. Seek first the kingdom of God. What does that mean to seek first the kingdom? To seek first the kingdom means to empower your life, to empower your thought life with an understanding, first of all, of who you are in Christ. You need to empower yourself with the kind of faith and expectancy that all things are working together for my good. Now, there is a time that when the need arises and the time where the promise is fulfilled, that we have this space in between, and we're in this, I call it the place of waiting. We are waiting upon God. May I suggest, do not allow the enemy to condemn you there. Don't let yourself, don't allow the enemy to beat you down. I, I used to do that. I'm going to tell you what I used to do. I used to be in places where I had many needs. And I used to say, okay, God, what did I do wrong now to deserve this? And God says, you haven't done anything wrong, right? Well, why am I in this place where my needs don't seem to be getting met? And God says, this is what the Lord spoke to me one day. He says, right? Do you know that I'm really pleased with what's going on in your life? I mean, so I had to, I actually had to come to a point where I began to renew my mind about my relationship because every time I was in a place of need, I always allowed the enemy to turn that around and condemn me and, and, and put me in a snare where I always thought something was wrong. And I didn't realize that God was actually trying to pre- prepare me and he was trying to train my hands for war. He was trying to teach me to trust him In times where I had need. There were things, in fact, this is what the Lord said. 
there are much bigger things that God is interested in that are needful than just meeting your need at that time. I didn't realize that. I remember then I'd read James 1. I didn't like James. Where it says, brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Knowing that patience, letting patience have a perfect work. I said, God, why do you need patience in me? Oh, I was used to be upset with God. I said, well, what do you... Okay, so you just want me to wait? No, it's not about just waiting. It was what God was doing in my life. You know what? I, I want to just be honest with you, folks. When David in the Bible says, I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed beg for bread. I want to tell you, God has never let me down. He's never failed me, ever. Now, there have been times that I didn't get the job I wanted. I had One time I had to settle for a le- lesser paying job. But you know what I realized? There was a blessing in that. Yeah, Here's the, what, what the blessing was. I took a job that paid less because God was using that situation to train me in that environment where God was going to bless me with my own business later on. But I didn't see it at the time. So I took a job with less pay. See, God was saying, Ray, I'm working for you in areas that you don't even know I'm working. I am concerned about every part of your life. But I need you to stay faithful, Ray. I need you to stay tithing to the storehouse. I need you to release control of the finances. And I need you to trust me. And I need you to be thankful. Let me tell you why we need to continue to be thankful. Thanksgiving keeps our spirit from falling into bitterness. It keeps our minds and our hearts from shutting God out. Do you know that bitterness and anger will grieve the Holy Spirit and it will build a wall between you and the Lord? The Bible says your prayers will be hindered. So when you begin to say, okay, God, oh, Lord, thank you, Lord. I'm going to give you thanks right now, Lord. I don't understand what's going on. And I know you want me to experience wealth and blessing. And I know you want to be glorified in my life. You want to bless me so that the earth will know of your ways and your covenant. And so Carol and I, we did. We begin to give thanks to God in the face of these situations. By the way, it was not easy. We also asked for help. We asked, I remember one time, and I, by the way, I think this is okay. I remember one time when my, my wife and I bought our first house. We went to my parents. I asked my parents for a loan so we could buy our first house. We had saved a lot of money, but we were still shy. And uh, I, I remember that when we even went to ask for help, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, as we went and asked for help, and we uh, developed a plan to pay my folks back, uh, but and my folks were so gracious to allow us to do that, and we were able to pay them off. But um, it, 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 it taught Carol and I not only giving and tithing, but we also realized that managing the money was important. We had to learn to manage money. And in our marriage, listen to me, when it comes to family, Carol and I realized that a lot of stress and grief 
could be taken out of the marriage when we made decisions like this. First of all, Carol and I never bought anything unless we were in agreement. Never. I don't come home and say, Carol, I want to buy a racquetball racket this afternoon and I'm going to buy it no matter what you say because it's my money. That attitude does not exist in our house. I don't come and say, Carol, I'm going to buy it. She doesn't come and say, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do my hair and buy a new dress because I just deserve it. If I said, Carol, normally I would never tell her not to do that. I, I don't think I ever, ever told her that. I've never said that. But, but if she, I just use that as an example. But Carol has been very honoring to me. She, but we, we've learned to talk through things. We've learned, and I'll tell you, when we learn, now I will say this, the very first time she did go out and buy the strawberry plates. In the beginning, the strawberry plates in the dishes was a big, and then I went to my pastor, and then pastor told me I needed more strawberry plates and all that, and I had to go through another humbling counseling experience where I had to learn to just grow in it. But my wife and I evolved in our marriage where we learned no more purchasing of anything until we agree. And it has been complete. That area in our life has been a, a blessing because we have learned to realize that it's the Lord. If we can't agree, if she doesn't have a piece of it, I'm not going to buy it. If she doesn't have a piece of it. Now, my wife doesn't have a problem if I go over to quick time and buy a snow cone. I mean, she doesn't have a problem. I can buy snow cones. You know, I can buy an ice cream cone. She doesn't have a problem with ice cream cones. But, but I would not go out and make a major, I, I, it just, for the sake of peace and for the sake of honor in marriage. How many of you know the kingdom of God is a culture of honor? And in a, in a culture of honor, you honor people by caring about what your spouse feels. We don't just come, well, I'll tell you, this is my house, it's my job, I'm going to do what you, you, you're going to be naked. You're not going to like anything I want to buy anyway. We don't have that kind of conversation. We, we just will not tolerate, we will not entertain that kind of attitude. We just don't want to have it anyway. You know? I had to be an actor, shouldn't I? <laughs> I'm pretty bad at it. We, we communicate. We talk things through. And the same thing with the kids. Uh, we, we learned that, by the way, parents, listen to me. We learned that kids are real smart. By the way, we learned when they were younger, if dad said no, they go to mom. Yeah. And you know what? We got smart as parents. We'd start saying, did you go to mom yet? Yeah, I did. What'd she say? I can't have it. Well, guess what? You can't have it. <laughs> parents. You need to be smart. You need to be ahead of the game. Kids will work one parent against the other. They're smart. Kids are not dumb. They're very, very smart. And so, but here's, when it just comes to managing, learning to communicate, learning, here, here's, no, here's one, managing is actually praying about it. Here's something. Should we buy this car? Should we make this move at this time? Should we make this investment? Should we help Auntie Susan out, who's calling us to give her, 
By the way, folks, just because a relative calls you and asks for help, you should just, well, they need help. We're going to help. No. What does your wife or your husband say first? I remember one time this husband came to me and said, Pastor, I just don't understand what's going on. My wife already called their mother and made an agreement to do something, and I'm kind of left out in the cold. I said, well, that's not good. Amen? Let me, let me just say this, folks. That I go to my spouse first, not my mother or my father or even the pastor. Remember one time, I, this woman came to me and said, Pastor, what do you think I ought to do about this and this? And I gave her advice, and she goes home and says, well, I just want you to know, I went to the pastor, and the pastor thinks that we need to do this. I didn't know she was doing this. By the way, women, let me tell you, husbands don't like competition. <laughs> you know, but when you bring me into the arguments, after race said to do that, that's not a good thing. They call me, and they're mad at me. So I've learned to realize that when a wife or a husband comes to me about financial advice, the first thing I'll say, did you talk to your spouse yet? I've learned to keep my mouth shut. Because I'm not going to get in, in the com- I'm not going to get in the competitions because I've I've discovered as a pastor a lot of people come to me ask for advice then go home and use that as a, as leverage in their marriage to get something they want <clears throat> or because they're trying to they're in, in involved in a, in a financial decision. Here's the point: in a culture in the kingdom culture, we honor each other. We honor their space. We honor where they're at in their walk with God. We always first go to the spouse. I will never go to my mother, my father. I will not go to John Stanson, the elders of the church. I will not call pastor. I will first always go to my wife. I will talk to her because I want to honor her. She deserves to be honored. She is part of the decision. We're we're a married couple and we do it Together. I tell you, I am blown away. I am so blown away with what I hear and what I read. It's, 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 it's scary how people today just make decisions, especially when you have two people in the home working out now. And you have this, this concept, this idea that the wife has a job and the husband has a job and they both have this idea that, well, it's my money. No, it's not your money. It's our money. It's together, and we make decisions together. If you walk and follow that principle, you will save your marriage. You will save a lot of headaches. Huh? Jump over with me to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Listen to what God says here about his people right here. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. Notice what it says. I love this. It says, Now it shall come to pass that if you will diligently obey the Lord your God and to observe carefully all of his commandments, which the Lord your God says, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Notice what God is saying about your position and stature. God says, I'm going to elevate you. Now, what he's talking about there, he's talking about the kind of favor and promotion. He says, when a man or a woman obeys the Lord, God says, I'm going to elevate you in stature. 
I'm going to set you high. In other words, that also means God is going to give you favor in such a way where you're going to have the advantage. God's going to give you the big, how many of you like the big break? God's going to give you the break. He's going to give you the blessing. He's going to give you favor even with your enemies. Notice what he says. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. I like that. It means literally to be chased. Can you imagine coming to God and saying, God, stop the blessings. Stop chasing me. I've had enough blessing. I can't take it anymore. Wouldn't that be a, a problem to have with the Lord? Stop chasing me, Lord, with the blessing. And he says, and all these blessings shall come upon you, overtake you, because you've obeyed the voice of the Lord. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, and the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall you be in your basket and the kneading bowl. Isn't that amazing? God says your basket and kneading bowl will be blessed. Little things. Blessed shall you be when you come in and when you go out and when you come in and go out. And the Lord will cause your enemies to rise against you, but be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way, but flee before you seven ways. And the Lord will command the blessing on you and your storehouse. And in all to who which set your hand, he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. The Lord will establish you, here it is, as a holy people... To himself. Now notice what he's saying here. The reason why he's blessing you is because you recognize you belong to God. He blesses you because you realize I belong to him. That means that I am going to take real good care of my life and my conduct. I'm going to make sure that I... Do not want to entertain sin. I don't want to jeopardize my relationship with the Lord by holding a grudge or unforgiveness, breaking God's laws. He says, as a holy people unto himself, just as he sworn to you, if you would keep his commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his way, then all the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. That means that Really, they'll respect you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your ground, in the land of which the Lord your God swore of your fathers to to give you. And the Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, and give the rain to your land in its season. And to bless all the work of your hands, you shall lend to many nations, but you will not borrow And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you shall be above only and not beneath, if you will heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and be careful to observe them, so that you shall not turn aside from the right or from any of the words which I command you this day, to the right or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. Now, I I don't want to spend the next few minutes, but if you went from verse 15 all the way down... On this chapter, clear down to verse 68. I don't want to read those verses, but those are the bad verses. Those are, notice, only 15 verses deal with blessing. The rest of them deal with cursing. God says you'll be cursed in the city, cursed in the world, cursed in your own, cursed in your finances. Your enemies will have power over you. It just goes on and on and on. Now, here's the thing that is amazing. 
It's all connected to how we honor and respond to his ways yeah. and his word. I want, you to, I want you to jump with me to Second Chronicles. I want you to see something. This is my last text. Second Chronicles. I want you to see something. When Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I want you to see what happened here in Second Chronicles. It says, now Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom. And the Lord, his God, was with him and exalted him exceedingly. Solomon was graced by God with wisdom. He was considered the most powerful, the most richest king that ever lived on the face of the earth. And here we find that Solomon had just been inducted as a king. And David, his father, had passed away. And it says that Solomon spoke to all the Israel in verse 2. And the captains of thousands and hundreds. And the judges to every leader. And the heads of their houses. And then Solomon and all the assembly with him went to the high places that was in Gibeon. For the tabernacle meeting with God was there. Which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness. But David had brought up the ark of God from Virginia. Jerim to the place David had prepared for it, for he had pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. Now the bronze altar that Bezel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made, he put before the tabernacle of the Lord. Solomon and the assembly sought him, the Lord, there. And Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord, which was the tabernacle of meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. Everyone say a thousand. That's a key. We're going to come back there in a second, but I want to go on. On that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said to God, you have shown great mercy to David, my father. You have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, let your promise to David, my father, be established, for you have made me king over people like the dust of the earth and the multitudes. Now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can judge this great people of yours? Then God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for riches or wealth, or honor, or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked for long life, but you've asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have ever, ever had who were before you, nor shall any after you have like this. Can you say amen? amen? Do you see what happened here? Here's a man, young man, he's probably in his mid-twenties. He's been sat in as a king. And God comes to him in the middle of the night and says, Solomon, ask what you want. You know, when I started asking, I said, Lord, why did you ask Solomon to ask what you want? That That's that's very, you don't see that in other places in the Bible. And I couldn't figure out why God asked him that. 
By the way, God doesn't ask everybody that. God didn't ask everybody that. And the Lord showed me the key. Here's the reason why God asked him that. Because in verse 6, it says that Solomon went before the bronze altar and he offered a thousand burnt offerings. Here's my point. Do you know what was only required? One offering. Solomon was a giver. Solomon just didn't come and give to God what he had to give. He decided to be a lavish giver. He says, guys, let's bring a thousand cows out here. We're going to give God the best and the biggest. You know what God does? When I begin to become liberal and a lavish giver, God will start asking you, what do you want? You know why he's going to ask you what you want? Because he knows he can entrust you with more. Because you're willing to give more. But here's the second reason why God blessed Solomon with wealth and riches. Solomon was asking the Lord how he could be a blessing to other people. Anytime you begin to focus... Remember what Jesus said? To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness means... In other words, Lord, I want you to bless me so I can in turn be a blessing. God says, I can trust that man. I can trust them because I know they're not going to hoard it for themselves. The Lord just opened that up to my heart this week. The reason why Solomon was given that blessing was because God saw his heart that his desire was to worship the Lord and his desire was to be a blessing to his people. By the way, I just want to say something about this church. I am honestly proud of this church. The majority of you are givers and you are tithers. And I know we're a smaller church, but folks, I want to tell you, I am so proud of you. You guys are givers. You You are a blessing. You give when we've had needs. You've been a blessing. Many of you are tithing. And I know God's blessing you. But I believe God wants to even bless us more. I believe the Lord impressed on me, even in prayer this week, that the Lord wants to bring greater promotion. I believe the Lord wants to give wisdom to many of you. I believe the Lord wants to take you guys up a couple notches and bless you. And as we see here in the kingdom, Solomon was blessed and God said, ask what you will. It's because Solomon did not allow riches to, to have a hold on him. How many of you know we don't want money to have a hold on us? We want to be able to be liberal and lavish in our giving. And we want to be a blessing in the kingdom of God. God says, I can trust that man. I can trust him with more. Amen. Let's all bow our heads, shall we? God wants to bless us. He wants to bring wealth into our lives. I believe uh, he wants to bless us beyond what we could ever ask or think. I think we need to stop apologizing even when God blesses us. We need to stop apologizing and and let's stop being grateful for poverty. I I think we, we we need to be okay with wealth. And here's the reason. 
Because God's going to set you on high so you can be a blessing to other people. You're going to be a blessing in the church. You're going to be a blessing in the house when you come in, when you go out. I believe God, when he says all these blessings will come upon you and overtake, I believe he means that. I believe that. Now, again, I want to make it really clear. Wealth is not defined by just how much money we make. I've seen people with actually little money, but they're very wealthy. They've been a great blessing. God's blessed them in so many other ways. Father, we just pray today that as you begin to help us understand the power of wealth and the purpose of prosperity, your desire, Lord, is to bless us so that we can in turn see your name glorified in the earth. You desire to make the church something that is a shining resemblance of who you are. You're a, you're a glorious Father. You're a great God. And Lord, you, you shine and, and you reflect and you, 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 you bless. There's a wealth in you and you desire for your people to have wealth in, in other ways and in other means so that we can in turn become a blessing. Yes. Father, I just pray right now that our, our faith will be challenged, even as Solomon came before the Lord and was lavish on his sacrifices. As he gave to the Lord, even he didn't give what he had to, but he gave over and above. And Lord, you, you entrusted him with so much more because he was faithful and little. Lord, help us to recognize the importance of relationships, the importance of our covenant, the importance of what it is to live and think in kingdom principles. Yes. We're in a kingdom. Yes. We, we belong to a heavenly kingdom with an awesome Father who loves to bless his people. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you continue to increase and expand our understanding. I just thank you for this church. I thank you for the people that are faithful and have sown their lives and you're continuing to bless and bring increase to them. Give us, Lord, we ask you for more opportunities to be a blessing in our city, Lord. We thank you for the food ministry and opportunities to serve in other areas, Lord. Hospitality or missions. Father, we ask you to be with us. Lord, we pray that you'll be with us the rest of this day and the Memorial Day weekend. We pray that you continue to strengthen this house. Be with us. For the rest of this weekend, we all give you praise. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet, shall we? What you to do?